The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Unique time in terms of the you know, the violence and the ignorance and the injustice, but it always, at least recently, it seems like a really difficult time, and it's just interesting when faced with our own suffering and the suffering of those around us and disappointment and betrayal and and even this more existential suffering of you know not really knowing what to do with this human life it's just a useful spiritual conundrum what to do with a sensitive heart when the world is like this, when my life is like this, when this person I'm interacting with is like this, when my body is like this, when my cat or dog is like this, when my city is like this, when the brown grass, I don't know about where you live, but in Minneapolis, it's pretty dry. Haven't had a lot of rain this summer. So just even that sense of the plants desiring water and not getting any. You know, so what, what's a heart, a sensitive heart to do? Or what is a skillful way for us to be relating? And is it really possible, like compassion as a spiritual attitude is... Like when a wise mind connects and is intimate with the truth of suffering, not intellectually, but actually our own suffering, the suffering around us, and isn't afraid to open and to meet and to connect and respond, that's what we call compassion. It's the intersection of wisdom and a very real experience of suffering and it's liberating right the heart the sensitive heart is realizing freedom with the being intimate feeling being intimate with the experience of suffering so it almost sounds like a paradox because we know what it's like to be around our own or other suffering that normally we associate those experiences with a feeling of it being heavy, feeling burdened by my suffering or burdened by the world's suffering or burdened by my friend's suffering. So it's good for us to remember uh, that, like if we're going to do some compassion practice tonight, it's good to remember that Metta practice, all of its forms, including compassion practice, is a liberating practice. Being close to suffering isn't an oppressive state or experience. It's an experience of freedom. The heart is realizing I can be intimate with the truth of suffering. I can be responsive without feeling burdened by the very real truth of suffering. 
So we want to stay open to that possibility. And that that lightness and that <clears throat> nimble, open space when love is the predominant quality in the mind, it's kind of the feedback or the gives us a sense of do we are we in the direction of metta or karuna compassion like that beautiful quality it's a beautiful quality of mind even at the same time our heart is deeply touched by the truth of our own or somebody or the world suffering so i've been using this simple formula that um, I know Venerable Analio, he's a German monk and wonderful teacher, one of my teachers. And um, he has a simple structure to learning how to do loving kindness practice or compassion practice, appreciative joy or equanimity. And he just breaks it down into four, I think, logical steps. We need to know how to arouse this attitude of spiritual love, let's call it metta. And this, you know, arousing it is more um, confidence move. I know that this heart is capable of being good and generous and wishing well and not hating. And remember, compassion, love, metta, that basic goodness, it's simply this experience, this sensitivity, being a human being, without the aversion, without the fear, without holding back. So sometimes we, we tend to impose or project a very idealistic um, picture of what love or compassion should look like or feel like. But it's really when we look, when we sense into our own heart, there's that clear sense, there's no aversion now in this moment, no fear. No defense, no dis like holding myself at a distance. So that's really what we're checking on, not to kind of match up or fit some idealistic uh, picture that we have of someone who's loving, you know, whatever that might be for each, each of us. But really just seeing this heart, this mind is empty of aversion, empty of fear, empty of defense or any sort of emotional way of distancing or being indifferent. Okay. And to really get interested in what is that experience of this heart that's not controlling, not afraid, not distant. And we're going to be bringing to mind our own suffering and the suffering of others. And you'll notice all the little and big ways the mind does impose some distance, some control, some aversion, some fear about suffering in relationship to the suffering we're imagining we're bringing to mind. And then, so a lot of the development is realizing I can abandon that fear right now for a moment or moments. I can abandon the need for defense. I can abandon the need to control 
Like, I can be around your suffering if I can control it and make it go away. It's, I mean, that's different than wanting to help. But if it's, I need your suffering to go away because it's irritating me, that's not compassion, that's irritation, right? Which can masquerade as compassion. Because it looks like we're responding to the suffering, but really we're responding because it bothers us and we want it to go away. Yeah, so just uh, almost like we want to start over in terms of our understanding of compassion. Any questions before we settle into the guided practice? And then there will be plenty of time for discussion and people sharing their own experience and asking questions after. But we'll sit for about 35 minutes. But if there are any questions to begin with, Good. If not, then let's just settle into a comfortable posture. Just doing the best we can to feel at home in the experience of the body. And we might begin the simple act of kindness of breathing in slowly and filling the lungs, breathing out slowly, emptying the lungs. As if we have all the time in the world to fill and empty the lungs. And it can be seen as some simple self-soothing we're offering ourselves, offering this body. As if we were to hold ourselves and whisper, honey, it's okay to relax. It's okay to be at ease. It's okay to soften. It's okay to put down the load. And in your own way, so feel free to change the words, but each of us in our own way, just saying, speaking some truth, something like, I care about this body. I care enough about this body to be close, to practice not forgetting or practice keeping the body in mind because I care. In the same way we would tell a good friend when they were really in need, I'm here for you. I'm not going to go anywhere. As long as you need me, I'll be here. Let's say something like that to our body, silently, of course, in our own heart and mind. Literally 
speaking directly to this creature, this experience of body. I care enough to be close right now. I care enough to not forget to keep this body, the sensations of this sitting body in mind because I care. And we're letting this attentiveness be an act of love and forgiveness, patience, and tenderness, just this keeping the body in mind. The sense of filling the body with this patient and fearless awareness, not afraid to feel what's here to feel in the body. And you can just add phrases that work for you. Something like, honey, I'm here for you. But words that work for you. And it might be mild discomfort in your body. It might be more intense. Or it might be that the body feels pretty good. But in any case, we know that this body is vulnerable to change, to so many insults. And we also know that this body is the repository of so much unacknowledged and unfinished pain physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual pain, somehow embedded, embodied here, hidden wounds, exposed wounds. This is the body. And I care, I care enough to be close, care enough to feel what's here to feel and to keep keeping the body in mind, to not forget. Honey, I'm really doing my best to be here and to not forget. And even better, to practice wishing well to the body. And I'll put it into words that work for me, but each of us will have to find our own phrase or phrases. But let me offer a few and you can 
repeat these silently after me. And then after a while, I'll stop and you can just use those phrases or find your own. I do care about this body here. I care enough to be close. And I care enough to wish well for the body. May wisdom and love protect this body always. May the deepest wisdom and love protect this body always. And may this body be happy and peaceful. And may it be at ease with the changing conditions of this life. I do care about this body sitting here. I care enough to be close and feel what's here to feel. And I care enough to wish well. May the deepest wisdom and love protect this body always. And may this body be happy and peaceful. And may this body be at ease, no matter the conditions, the changing conditions of life. And if you can sense the generosity, the expansive, generous, radiant even quality of this compassion, as it includes the body, I really appreciate the goodness that can care and wish well And we can expand, we can include the goodness of the heart, the sensitive heart itself. I do care about this heart right here, right in the middle. The heart that feels, the heart that knows. Almost as if we're smiling for ourselves recognizing that this heart is capable of goodness, worthy of appreciation, worthy of being blessed with our good wishes. 
So again, we can use some phrases, but for sure it's okay to come up with your own. May the deepest wisdom and love protect this sensitive heart, this sensitive mind. And may this heart be happy and peaceful And may this heart be at ease through all the conditions of this life. May this heart be at ease. May the deepest wisdom and love protect this heart always. And may this heart be happy and peaceful. May this heart be at ease through all the changing conditions of this life. Now just continue on your own. Of course, we began by relating to this life right here with compassion. But you might naturally find other friends, family members, other people that you know coming to mind, even those far away that you don't know personally, but you know about their suffering. But just let, let that be a natural development Allow this tender, generous compassion, allow it to open and spread, to be more inclusive. Use phrases when you need them to keep compassion in mind. But when the quality, the movement of compassion is quite clear, then you can drop phrases and just abide in that more boundless, radiant expression of tenderness and love and compassion. And then when there's more distraction, then use phrases to help keep coming back to this attitude of compassion. Each of us finding our own way. So we'll continue for a while now in silence.
not afraid to begin again and again. There's a lot of learning when we realize we've been distracted. There's a lot of learning in finding our way back to an authentic attitude of compassion. Whether you begin with your body or you find another way to find your way back to the beautiful, generous attitude of compassion. May this heart be at ease with these difficult conditions, with the uncertainty. May this heart be at ease with life.
part of what we're learning to do with the compassion practice is how to arouse the attitude of compassion by bringing people, ourself to mind, memory, that evokes that actual experience of tenderness, wishing well, non-fear in regards to suffering. And once a compassion has been aroused, we notice its expansive and generous quality. It doesn't shrink, doesn't push away, Rather, it includes, it's not afraid of being close to the suffering we're remembering. And then it matures into a boundless or all-inclusive. I care about all of the suffering, even the suffering I don't know about. May all beings be at ease with the suffering of their lives in their lives. May they find their way toward greater ease and release. May all beings know freedom from suffering. May this be so. And the last stage is when we learn we can trust this goodness of compassion. So we drop the sense of me practicing compassion. And in a sense, we just trust it, relax, and let the heart be established with this attitude of compassion, this great tender-heartedness, responsivity, this great compassion. May all beings be free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. So for the last five minutes or so, see if you can abide in this more all-inclusive tenderness, compassion. Nobody's left out. Even our enemies, we notice, we sense their suffering and we care about it.
and remember the real evidence for the presence of compassion is the absence of fear, the absence of aversion, the absence of needing to be in control, needing to fix. A heart that's not afraid to feel and see and include things as they are. Not afraid to respond, to do what needs to be done. And before we end, it's useful to sense the value in cultivating and maintaining this attitude of compassion. The Buddha said, drop by drop, the water pot is filled. Likewise, the wise person gathering little by little fills oneself with good. So every little and big effort to remember this capacity for metta and karuna, kindness and compassion, it's like drop by drop. And then eventually more and more it becomes the predominant habit to be relating with kindness and compassion all through our lives. So may this be so. So take your time and adjust your posture as you need. Stretch a little if that is helpful. And remember <laughs> with these uh, different ways of cultivating these four beautiful qualities, attitudes of mind, that basic friendliness, metta, compassion, which is the Pali word is karuna, appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, sometimes translated as gladness, which is udita, and then equanimity, that radiant, generous balance, and that's upeka, is the Pali for that. So we have these four qualities, and Really, they're meant to be kind of our ongoing way of practicing during the day. So, you know, we talk about being mindful, being present. But actually, we can be present with the attitude, like keeping that attitude in mind. Just like when you're doing breath meditation, you're keeping the breath in mind. And when we do compassion 
practice formally when we're sitting informally for the rest of the day, we're keeping that attitude in mind. Sometimes it's going to be quite predominant. The compassion or the friendliness will be like obvious. But even the times when it's not that obvious, we can keep it in mind. Like we're really angry, frustrated with traffic, and there's just a little sliver of tenderness, like, oh, honey, you really hate this traffic, and I care about that, right? But mostly the mind is just reacting and, you know, fuming and struggling there, squeezing the steering wheel too hard. But in terms of our practice, we don't pay attention to the aversion, the anger, we pay attention to the heart that cares. Oh, you're really upset. You really don't like this traffic. It hurts, and I care about it. I care that the mind is acting out in this way. I'm not trying to control it. I'm not condemning myself. I'm caring about it. <laughs> it's the same thing, you know. If a neighbor is really uh, acting out next door, making a lot of noise... You know, it's very easy to want them to stop. It's a whole other thing to realize, oh, they must be having a hard time. Yeah, it's irritating me, the noise they're making or whatever, but I care about them. I care about their life. And I may not have that much to say on how things are going to unfold for my neighbor, but even though I don't have power for like how things are going to unfold, my wish is that you find your way to, to ease, to the release of whatever suffering you're experiencing. And that wish is beautiful, even if we don't have power to intervene in any real way. Caring is a beautiful attitude. Sometimes we care and there's something we can do, and that's like icing on the cake, because we can act on that wish to alleviate someone's suffering. Other times we care, we have compassion, but in that moment there's really nothing for us to do. But that doesn't diminish the good attitude of caring and willing, our willingness to do something if there's something to do. Because the whole idea, like with these practices, as the Buddha said very simply, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. So doing compassion practice isn't like a new, unique way to suffer more because now all of a sudden I'm consciously choosing to be sensitive to suffering around me. So now my heart really hurts because there are all those people in the Ukraine and all those Russian soldiers fighting a war they probably don't want to fight and all of this and all of that and racial injustice and economic injustice and so many ways humans and other animals on this planet are suffering. And is it actually, I mean, we need to um, have an open mind about this. Is it actually liberating to uncover the heart that's not afraid of the truth of suffering? Because what we tend to think when we're not that conscious and not that reflective 
is I actually have to get myself into a bubble where I feel okay about like, you know, not my responsibility in my gated community or whatever it is in my nice orderly city of Minneapolis. I mean, relatively speaking, lots of suffering here too, of course. Then I can be at ease. But can we be at ease and sensitive and curious about the world around us and all the yeah, all the ways that suffering gets replicated on and on towards certain groups of people, individuals, randomly, systemically, all the ways that suffering keeps reverberating. Is it really possible? See, this is a much more um, interesting, provocative and energizing spiritual question. Like, do we understand the spiritual path as some kind of transcendence? Like, get me the hell out of here because there's so much suffering on earth or in this realm, you know, so I want to get to some heavenly celestial place like a good meditation where I'm seemingly miles away from the blunt truth of suffering. Well, that is something we practice from time to time, you know, spiritual vacations, but it isn't an end in itself. It may be healing to put down our concern, to get a good night's sleep, to get a good massage, to go f watch a funny movie with a friend, but we don't pretend that the suffering has gone away. We just have a sense that I need to turn away from my duties and responsibilities to the suffering of the world and take a bike ride or make some soup or whatever. But what we really want is not to be dependent on those kinds of escapes so that when it's appropriate and natural to take a vacation from the horrors of our existence, then we should. But when that's not appropriate or it's not the time, that's okay too, because we've developed this capacity to be at ease and to actually thrive and be enlivened. And the truth is, you know, we can't really deny or repress. I mean, we can temporarily, it seems to work in the short run, to choose to be numb, to choose to be ignorant, to choose to be in denial. But it, but the cost of that doesn't, it's its own, you know, cause for suffering to be afraid to connect with the world we live in, to be connected, to be aware, to see, you know, part of awareness is to go to the depth, but part of awareness is the breadth, where we're really seeing cause and effect. And this is really important in terms of how suffering gets replicated, you know, the way oppression works, whether we're talking about around sexism or racism, classism, but basically how power fights to maintain and get more power, right? And those 
in those moments or those groups without power, you know, are taken advantage of and want that to end. And there's this uh, endless struggle, I guess. It's just woven into the fabric of embodied existence, life, right? You could characterize the situation of animals and plants on this planet as life eating life. So this is our predicament. And the question is, do we need to get the hell out of here to be free? Or can we be free here? Connected, open, sensitive, not in denial. And what is that heart or what is that attitude that can open in an honest and responsive way? Well, in Buddhism, we call that compassion. You know, that non-fear with the truth of suffering. So I have, of course, more I can say, but I thought it might be good just to check in with folks. And many of you heard me say this before, but in terms of these spiritual qualities of love, that basic friendliness, metta, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity, we've all learned a thing or two over the years of our lives. So it'd be nice to share like, what are you learning about your own capacity, the capacity of your heart to be open and kind and compassionate and appreciative and balanced in a radiant way? What gets in the way? What questions do you have about the practice formally when we're sitting informally throughout the day? It's a really great time. And think of your sharing, your questions as a generous act because we learn a lot from the questions people ask and the comments people make. So you can, with this size group, it's just fine to unmute yourself, introduce yourself. You could say your pronouns like mine or he, him just so we don't accidentally misgender anybody. Anybody feel like getting started? What have you learned about your capacity, your heart's capacity to be present, to be clear, to be interested in the truth of suffering in little and bigger ways? Go ahead, Chelsea. Well, this this week has been kind of difficult emotionally for me. Um, I'm a, involved in another spiritual group, um, and there is someone in that group that is um, really pretty mentally and emotionally unstable and has decided to kind of come at me and um, just interpret certain things in, in a particular way and kind of blame me for, for some things that I just feel like I honestly didn't do or, or at least didn't intend. So it's, it's really confusing. This person is also, um, I, can, I just feel a lot of hostility from them. 
so it's a little scary um not knowing well and the hostility started when i tried to set a healthy boundary with this person <laughs> and they didn't like that uh so so you know my mind is going down all these rabbit trails of oh what terrible things are they saying to the other people in the group and where is this going to lead and um do i have to leave the group do they have to leave the group you know how do I, is there anything that i am responsible for that i can make amends for and i'm not finding anything but there's still the awkwardness of we're both in this group together to seek out healing and um and so i guess i don't i just don't have any answers i'm kind of at a loss <laughs> of like what my next move is um but there is a part of me that has enough momentum in my practice and just evidence from experience that um uh, i guess the way i like to put it is that presence has my back <laughs> and and so i don't know when i go to my group next week you know what this person's going to do or if we're going to talk or if we're going to ignore each other or or what or how do i set boundaries and um keep both of us safe um but i am practicing just trusting that showing up with good intentions for both myself and this other person is enough and that's really really hard <laughs> but um that is that's all i got right now <laughs> it's just that that i just have to trust that it'll it will work itself out. Mm. It's beautiful, Chelsea. Yeah, and I I loved especially that piece about presence has my back. Cuz sometimes when we're in these sticky places, we really feel like I should have a strategy. Like I know I should know what to do to make this problem go away. And uh It's really great when life delivers us these things where we don't have a strategy and it's like you can't even clearly sense something you need to make amends for, right? And we can just yeah, just purify our heart that's going to show up and we'll see how what you do, what you don't do, what you say or don't say, you know, maybe you can report back next month when we meet again cuz it'd be interesting just to see and part of what really can throw us i know for me um this was very humbling these situations where uh somebody was upset at me and uh i felt pretty clean but i was shocked that somebody could be angry at me <laughs> you know it's like how can that be i'm a good person you know that sort of idea that if if i think my intentions are good and maybe i'm right like maybe my intentions what i said what i didn't say how i acted 
maybe that all came out of basically wholesome intentions. But we're also, like it or not, we're responsible for impact. And it's like, we're all carrying around a lot of unresolved pain, some maybe more than others. And even our wholesome intentions and wholesome actions and words and just who we are can trigger people's unresolved pain. Mm -hmm. So the impact on the other person might be quite painful, but it isn't our intention, but the impact. And what is our responsibility to impact, even if our intentions were relatively good or very good? You know, it's like being alive, we're stepping on toes, we're bumping. Even if we're not trying to bump or take what isn't ours or put, put somebody down. But that doesn't mean our behavior won't trigger somebody's self-hatred or trigger somebody's fear of not being included, right? Or not being good enough. And then we're the target. There's a funny sort of Zen story. I, I maybe see if this fits this situation, but um, you know, just the proverbial wise person in the hills, and uh, in this case, it was a man and uh, like a Zen master or something like that, and um, some family accused this person of impregnating their daughter. And there was all this shame and he didn't do it, but he just, you know, they just left the baby at his doorstep at the monastery. So he raised the kid and, you know, and then, you know, years later they wanted the baby back and, or the child back. I mean, the, the idea is like, we're in this position as a human being where anybody can say anything about us. And that is completely, you know, in, in our normal mind, is completely unacceptable. People should just be saying the truth, as I see it. And when people say things that, you know, are just to us, not the case, it, it can really strike a deep fear, like, well, what kind of world do I live in where people just make stuff up or their reality just does not coincide with my reality. So I was in that in that room, that person was in that room, but we had very different experiences. And the more I say, no, 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 that's not what happened, it sounds defensive, <laughs> right? And, and how do we, what, what kind of attitude or, like you said, what is our refuge? Can presence, can this wisdom and compassion be a refuge where we allow ourselves to be, as the Buddha says, like the earth, where people urinate and they poop and they vomit and they throw trash. And the earth, being this great receptive, whatever, mother, just, okay, now this. It isn't about being the doormat, it's just about this is the world we live in. More you want to say, Chelsea? Well, just the last thing that um, I remembered those phrases, is it the, the worldly winds of the praise and blame and 
fame and ill repute and all of those. And, and so I looked up those phrases and there was something really comforting about that to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Oh, this is just that season that I'm going through now. And, um, it gave me permission to relax a little bit. And, um, but yeah, it's just, it's been a, a week of, practicing a lot of compassion for myself because I'm just confused and scared <laughs> and trying to access compassion for this other person as well. And the, the guided meditation tonight was really helpful for that. Yeah. And, and always start with yourself because it is a painful situation that you described. And why wouldn't you have compassion for yourself? Oh, this is really painful. And I care about that. This is really confusing, and I care about that. There's a really sweet little etiquette at uh, retreat centers, you know, where I teach. Behind the scenes, you know, teachers, we get a lot of notes. And uh, if there's a positive note, like somebody really appreciated the Dharma talk, the other teachers, like if we mention it or if they see it, they always go, praise and blame. You know, just that idea that, oh yeah, there's people who really like the talk, and then the next note will be, you know, I didn't really like that talk, you know, that didn't seem right, you know. And that's just, yeah, to to really realize this is the world we inhabit. My, who I am is going to push some people's buttons, and who I am might very well sort of, bring some praise, like people might like me or appreciate me. And then, and then, and then it just keeps coming at us. Yeah, you could, if you don't know the eight worldly wins that Chelsea just mentioned, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, and uh, pleasure and pain. Thanks, Chelsea, for sharing with us. And anybody else can go. We've we got more time. What else have you been learning in your life that you're willing to share with the group or questions that you might have? So, um, an interesting, hi everybody, my name is Jenny. I'm in St. Paul and use she, her pronouns. Um, one of the things that I have been trying to do um, is simply have compassion for others that I am irritated by or, um, uh, yeah, I guess that, that would explain it. Um, and the piece that I work on is not in the moment. I have to wait and practice that um, uh, later. And then I can start feeling it. I can start feeling my heart opening up and um, recognizing I'm telling myself stories. I don't know the whole thing. And and um, so that, that's been... Uh, something that I've been practicing 
the last couple of months. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. And in the kind of when we're in the heat of that, it might be more realistic and useful to have compassion for our own tension that we feel in that predicament. And then you're right, like how can we create a sense of safety so we can actually start authentically feeling some compassion for them? And we need some distance. And there are a number of ways. I mean, one, like Jenny mentioned, is just to wait until we're in the safety of our home, away from that difficult interaction. But also, when you're away, you can bring that particular person that's really difficult, like in Chelsea's situation, bring that person to mind, but include all the other people that are in the group, where there might be a lot of love or a lot of more neutral feelings, not difficult feelings, and to realize, oh yeah, I care about this group of people. So there's ways of using groups to help us stay close to people that are scaring us or that really irritate us, really upset us, or we don't get, don't get where they're coming from or whatever. Thanks again, Jenny. Other thoughts in the group? Learnings in your life you're willing to share with the group? Lori? Uh, I, I was um, in the meditation that we did um, when I was practicing compassion toward various people. Some people are easy. And so I, you know, I start with the, I start with myself and I go to easier people and then I get to hard people and I find my difficult people, um, people I have, I have difficulties with and I find myself spacing out or, you know, going somewhere else. And then I have, sort of have to redirect myself. And then I go back to an easy person. So I'll like go back to my mother because that's always a place for me that I can really easily feel compassion. And then, and then I'll try maybe redirecting to someone who's, who, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a lab. It feels like a lab for me. I, um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. Thanks, Laurie. And that, and what Laurie's saying is actually brings up a really important point, which is, you know, when we're doing the formal compassion meditation, remember the objects, the actual meditation object isn't the person ourselves or another person that we're sending or having compassion for. It's compassion itself that's actually the meditation object. And compassion, any of these qualities, the Brahma Viharas, the Divine Abodes, these qualities of love, they have this, they're, they're actually, it's a movement, an energetic movement of love. It's a generous movement and it's an enlivening, it, it's a pleasant movement, even compassion. And to, so all of the people we bring to mind, the situations, the phrases that we might repeat silently in the mind, they're secondary um, activities, mental activities that help us keep the compassion, the radiance, the generosity of love in mind. So anything that is in the service of keeping compassion in mind, we call it skillful. And then when we start to think about the situation in a way that takes us away from that immediate sense that generous upwelling of goodness that we call compassion, then that's not helpful. 
So all of the different um, phrases and who we're bringing to mind, going to an easier person like uh, Laurie was saying, or moving toward a more challenging, difficult person, it's all about what actually evokes the authentic movement of love and helps to keep it in mind. And sometimes like when we, like the reason we might go to a more challenging person, and it might be like a particular person that we're having a really difficult time with, or for some of you, the difficult thing might be a more generic compassion for everyone, simply because it's not very specific. You don't have a compelling story. It's like all beings everywhere. But we use those more challenging ideas to kind of move the boundary, increase the radiance, the inclus inclusive nature of that love. So it really is everywhere, boundlessly everywhere. Nothing is untouched by that love of compassion, that care. So it's all, all those ideas, all those memories, all those mental images or just various ways to keep compassion in mind and to let it expand, which is its very nature, let it be more and more boundless or inclusive, and learn that we don't even have to be the one doing the compassion, that we can abide, trust, relax, let compassion be compassion. Yeah, thanks, Glory. Still more time, enough time to hear from a couple more folks. Other thoughts, other learnings, questions? And Melissa? I'm Melissa, I use she, her pronouns, and I live in St. Paul. Um, really like the compassion practice because of how it brings everything in, including all those things that we might ordinarily avoid. Um, and I was just thinking about um, earlier today, I had some really difficult conversations with um, a couple of people that I've been having difficulty with for quite some time. Um, and they were conversations that I thought were going to be really painful and they were. Um, but it was interesting how having those conversations really opened some things up inside of me um, that were really positive as well. Um, and it was sort of that feeling of being seen, um, which kind of to me feels like it's connected to the compassion piece and sort of the practice that we just did, which is sort of I guess the way that I was thinking of it when I was doing the practice is that the mindfulness practice itself is kind of a way, it's a way that I see myself in a sense, 
Like it's a way that I start to feel more grounded because that feeling seen is kind of a form of love. It's kind of what love is. Um, so it just made me start thinking about how these practices can sort of play out in our lives in different ways. And it all kind of comes back to, and it's really kind of what Chelsea was saying, it's coming back to being present. Um, through all of it. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. It's such a gift to ourselves not to be afraid of messiness. And I don't know if that's kind of what you were pointing to, Melissa, but having had that difficult conversation and, uh, yeah, and being real. And you know how it is. I mean, it's messy. I, I think about just the interactions I have with my spouse, and I, I consider that I have a really healthy, wonderful marriage. You know, we've been together almost 30, well, we've lived together 30 years now. And, uh, but still it can get really messy in moments, for sure. The conversation and the interactions, you know, with fear or anger or, you know, our own pain gets triggered, you know, then we act it out to some degree. And because we practice, there's some awareness. But there's something liberating about not having to pretend and liberating about being able, being willing to be real so that when I'm upset, I can be really upset. Not in a way where I purposefully want to hurt myself or her, but just that uh, I don't have that unnecessary pain of having to pretend or being afraid of the emotions and the attitudes that I have. And part of that, you know, on Monday night, we're studying Sila for the Buddhist studies class this uh, summer. Sila is really about this moral sensitivity. And part of the, the joy of Sila, of developing moral sensitivity, is realizing that I can trust my heart. Meaning, it doesn't mean that I don't have bad habits. It just means that when my bad habits get triggered, and there they are, and there's defensiveness, or there's anger, or there's whatever, that I have some skill at feeling that, and acknowledging when it's appropriate in the social situation, acknowledging, oh yeah, this is who I am right now, this is what I'm feeling right now. It's not pretty, but it is who I am. And it's permission to other people to be real and that we're not expecting the people that we interact with not to have, you know, a mixture of wholesome and unwholesome habit energies, right? Because, of course, we're just, we're conditioned the way that we're conditioned. And it's interesting because it's really love that can hold it all. Like, love doesn't mean we have to pretty it up. So love knows how to, oh yeah, I'm not afraid to be with the mess. I don't love you. 
I don't care about you because I think you're perfect. I care about you because I know what it's like to be a human being or a living being. It's messy. Thanks, Melissa. Any other thoughts, Melissa? No, I think I think you summed it up pretty well. Yeah, and I like the part about being able to be real. That definitely rings true for me. I came across this quote um, from a Sufi master. He was kind of popular in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Pirviliant Khan was his name. And uh, this is a pretty well-known quote. I got this from uh, one of Jack Kornfield's books, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. And uh, this Sufi master said, Overcome any bitterness that may have come because you were not up to the magnitude of pain entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, you are sharing a certain measure of that cosmic pain and are called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity. That, that's an interesting just way of talking about the messiness and the brokenness of the world that, you know, not, it's not that it's fair, like what amount of pain right now that we're being asked to hold. Some, I know in this Zoom space, I know some of you, and I know the enormity of some of the pain that you're being asked to hold, you know, just within your families or whatever it might be. And others might be relatively, I mean, on the privilege end of things, relatively speaking. But we all have our share. And... uh and then the more we get comfortable and skilled at meeting our share, then we can start to to sort of support and care about everyone else holding their share. So let's just end tonight. I've been putting in the chat the uh, four quarters chant. And let's just do it with compassion tonight. We'll go through it one time. You see all four of the divine abodes listed, loving kindness, compassion, gladness and equanimity, but we'll chant this together, but we'll just do the compassion phrase. So now let us make the divine abode of compassion shine forth. I will abide pervading one quarter with the mind imbued with compassion. Likewise, the second Likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a mind imbued with compassion, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Thank you so much for showing up tonight. 
really great to be together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.